I'm Lindsay Beckley, and this is Ghost Press. Well, not this. This is a promo for Ghost Press. On the real Ghost Press, we're breathing life into old ghost stories from the pages of historic newspapers. We've got ghosts in houses, murdered ghosts, ghosts on ships, and more. Find us and our ghosts on Apple Podcasts and subscribe today so you don't miss one frightful minute. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. A weekly podcast that brings you sweet treats of the number of the beast while you run to the hills of music. <laughs> Are those the only two songs you know? <laughs> I, actually, I, I surprisingly knew a lot more songs by this band. I did too. Than I thought I did. Yeah. Which it, made me feel better about myself. Right? <laughs> Tonight's topic is definitely a band that you know their songs and you don't know that you know your so- their songs till you hear their songs and you're like, oh, I know this song. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about Iron Fucking Maiden. Yes, but we have to thank... Um, yes. Shout out to Joey maybe. from So Wizard Podcast, who has actually asked on several occasions <laughs> that we do Iron Maiden. And I've been wanting to do Iron Maiden. That's always been on the list, but... If somebody mentions it, we're going to be like, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, sometimes some of the suggestions worked because we thought, well, we kind of wanted to do that anyway, so. So, yeah. Two we're birds, <laughs> five stones. I don't know. We aren't good shots. No. No. I have terrible aim. I throw like a girl. I throw like a, a fetus <laughs> in that I can't throw. I imagine okay. fetuses can't throw. Or zygote. Zygotes don't have arms. There you, so go. There you go. I throw like a zygote. <laughs> there you go. And... With that, we are your two troopers of hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And, and I'm sick. And you are a I'm little... sorry. You are a little under the weather. <laughs> and of course, I'm the one that's talking for an hour and a half today. Unfortunately. But it's all We're right. We're going to make it work. I mean, I think people at this point should expect it. That I'm sick all the time? <laughs> no, that like everyone, every podcaster is sick now. At this oh, yeah. point, like when... You're listening to podcasts in the winter. You have to expect that your host is going to be sick. Yeah. Well, this is like my time of year to get sick. There's always a point in the spring and a point in the fall to winter transition that I get a shit cold. And no, Mm -hmm. it's not allergies. Stop asking me if it's allergies because it's not. Are you sure it's not allergies? Fuck off. It's not fucking allergies. (laughs) I know what a goddamn cold feels like. Anyway. (laughs) She digresses. I digress. But anyway, Iron Maiden. Animated. That's who we're talking about today. Yes. And uh, and the- today we are drinking... <laughs> oh, this beer. The Trooper by Robinson's Brewery. <laughs> Robinson's Brewery. It is a dad beer. Guys, this is the oh. most daddest of dad beers I think oh. I've ever drank. Oh, it's a dad beer. It's fine. It It's perfectly serviceable. It's it's. I am drinking it. And I don't want to die. It's yet. not like a Bud Light. No, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's better than a Bud Light. It's better than a Boddington's. It's not so, as good as, I don't know. Would you drink this or Sam Adams? I would drink Sam Adams. I was going to say, Sam Adams to me is kind of a dad. It's turning into a dad beer for me. Yeah. And it yeah. might just be because my dad drinks it. <laughs> <laughs> well, your dad is a little bit cooler than most dads. Well, I my guess. dad did grow up. On, like, you know, cores. Yeah. 
My dad is a bud man through and through, but he is branching out to craft beers. Ooh, he, I think at this point you don't have much of a choice. So my my throat's nice and lubricated when we get into this with shit. Some, with some dad beer. With some dad beer. Well, Let's dad beer the shit out of this episode. Let's dad beer this. Yeah. I, Woo! What does it mean to dad beer something? Just do it like a dad. Stay, Wednesday night, David Busters. <laughs> Two for one. Dad beers. Uh, there we go. Two for one troopers. And one night only, Chicken Fist is playing all Iron Maiden covers. Oh my god. I, I can't wait see till, that. I can't wait till we're in our 40s and we start our dad band, Chicken I Fist. I so excited for this. Anyway, let's get into this. <laughs> so Iron Maiden are currently known as one of, if not the, biggest name in heavy metal. Right. They have endured centuries of rapid-fire album releases, grueling worldwide tours, seemingly endless lineup changes, and so much praise from the rock world that it's almost as if they can't do any wrong. Right. They have made some mess-ups, but we'll get into it. Haven't we all? Haven't haven't we all? (laughs) But let's go back to their infancy, back when they were little baby metalheads. Iron Maiden's roots are in East London, where bassist Steve Harris started the band on Christmas Day in 1975. The original lineup consisted of Steve Harris and a couple other guys from his former band Smiler and other musicians he knew from the area. Smiler sounds like a terrifying name for a band. Isn't it? I don't like that. Yeah. It sounds like a torture device. We're going to give them the Smiler. Yeah. But isn't the band that Brian May and Roger Taylor used to be in called Don't Forget to Smile? Well, or it was Smile because of Don't Forget to Smile. What? It's, that was their saying was Don't Forget to Smile, but the band was called Smile. That's even more terrifying. No, I think Smiler's worse because a Smiler sounds <laughs> like you're going to rip someone's lips off. Or a scary We're going to give them the like, Smiler. But that... <laughs> Or it's like the name of a really creepy clown or something. Oh yeah, Smiler the clown. No matter what, I don't, I don't really like I it. It's a good thing that Smiler is no more because the terrible name. Yeah, bad name, guys. Iron Maiden, much better name, guys. <laughs> good Still job. Less terrifying, but yes. Yeah, yeah. They played their first show a few months into 1976 at Cart and Horses Pub, a local venue where Steve and his friends would watch other bands play. At first, the attendance at their shows was pretty dismal, but the audience grew with every performance, and soon enough, they had a loyal following and a steady gig as the house band for Cart and Horses Pub. Oh, that sounds like a fun place. It's a place I would want to go. Yeah. That's like, I would I would like that to be my down-the-street pub. Yeah, like if, if we lived in England, that would be our down-the-street pub. I've always wanted to have one of those. I should mention that Iron Maiden has had more band members come and go than any other band I have ever seen. Which, then, to when you had mentioned that to me, I was like, even more than Yes, but we're not sure how many band members Yes has had, but I know it's been a lot. Yeah. That'll that'll happen one day. And then eventually, we should have the, like, countdown of who's had way too many fucking band members change. <laughs> a band episode. member off. Oh, we should. So many musicians have left the group that Wikipedia has an entire page dedicated to former Iron Maiden members. Woof. So to avoid too much confusion, I'm only going to mention some of the band member changes when it's important to the story. Got it. But I'm going to mention a few here because it's funny. Okay. (laughs) I also enjoy (laughs) laughing. Yes, exactly. The first band casualty was their first lead singer, Paul Day. Oh. 
Steve said he was kicked out because he lacked charisma on stage. Everybody said, like, literally word for word, he's a really nice guy, but he sucks on stage. <laughs> Which is kind of sad, but, that you know. sucks. He was replaced by Dennis Wilcock, hmm. who maybe had too much charisma. Hmm. He liked to wear kiss-like face paint and would hide blood capsules in his mouth and slide a sword across his lips while fake blood ran down his face. It's a little little much for, like, like a pub. I was going to say, while I feel like Iron Maiden, yes, is that, you know, devil, Satan, blood, Mm -hmm. magic, I feel like they seem like the type of guys listening to it that just kind of dress like metal guys, but they don't exude the theatrics the way, like, Kiss would or Varg. (laughs) Oh, Varg. Oh, Varg. They're just super down to earth guys, right? So I imagine there somebody is who is a little too much, a little, a, a little, little much. too much. Yeah, like the the he sounds very. He's he's major. He's quite major, <laughs> um, and that's just like not really who they are. Like, yeah. leave the crazy shit like that to Eddie, who we'll get into later. Okay, and you don't need blood capsules in your mouth. You don't really need that's that. That's a bit much. Yeah, that's a little bit much, especially yeah. for a group of dudes who are just super down to earth and like are pretentious. We're just singing or about Satan. It's fine. <laughs> Come on, Satan and Indians. Yes, hmm. lots of historical and literary references. Yeah. yeah, you know what? They're just a bunch of fucking. Honestly, guys, metal bands are just a bunch of fucking nerds. Yeah, and that's why I like them. Yeah, I like nerds. Um, Steve Harris is the main composer of the band and has been since its beginning and a lot of the songs that he writes are based on poems and novels that he's read and it makes me feel stupid sometimes listening to Iron Maiden because it's so intellectual and and literary makes so many references to history and and books that I have never read and probably should have nerd just yell nerd at him on stage and then they're like, get the fuck out. I'm like, I deserve this. No, that's a compliment. (laughs) So Dennis also recruited his friend Dave Murray on guitar, which the other two guitarists who were already in the band understandably didn't like very much. That's too many guitarists. You don't need that many guitarists. Officially. Officially. Tensions grew to a point where Steve broke up the band for a bit, barely a year after he started it. Holy shit. But it wasn't long before the band was back together with Dave Murray as the only guitarist. Ooh. Three guitarists center, one leaves. <laughs> Two are missing, and we're a little concerned about them, and maybe you guys could help us find them. If anyone has seen the two guitarists, would you please check in at the front desk? <laughs> but again... Barely a year later, infighting caused a rift in the band, and Dennis convinced Steve to fire Dave. Yeah. Okay. It's it's such catty bullshit. It's hilarious. <laughs> Some other band members left, too, including Dennis, who convinced Steve to fire Dave. Wait, was Dennis the drummer or the bassist? Dennis was the lead singer. Dave Wait. Dave was the guitarist. Oh, Steve right. is Dennis the bassist. Dennis was the one with the makeup. Yes. So Dennis left, and also a keyboardist left. Which was a questionable addition to the band from the start anyway. Yeah, I know. I don't buy that. At least at this point in time. Questionable at best. But as soon as Dennis was gone, Steve hired Dave back. And <sighs> Steve and Dave have been the only consistent Maiden members since then. Okay. And Steve and Dave. I left out a lot of people. Oh, I believe it. Wow, that's okay. 
Yeah. I'm a little confused, but as long as I remember Steve Dave. Yep. Steve Dave. That's all I need. Steve Dave. Steve Dave. All right. (laughs) Basically, all of the band member changes in Maiden's early career were because of relatively silly things under relatively catty circumstances. A lot of changes happened because this guitar player didn't want to have a second guitar player added or because someone didn't show up for rehearsal because they were preoccupied with their girlfriend or they froze on stage or they were embarrassing on stage. And one guy was actually fired for embarrassing himself after pretending to play guitar with his teeth. Like coming and going. And as soon as they did something that Steve Harris was like, um, no, then they were out of the band. I don't know if these people were that bad or if Steve was just that picky. I think he was picky because he wanted to be professional. Okay. I don't think he was overbearing about it. Okay. It was just like, okay, well, this guy didn't show up for rehearsal for the third time in a row. Let's go to his apartment, find out where the fuck he is. Find him at his apartment, like, screwing his girlfriend. All right, you're fucking out of the band. Because you're not taking this seriously. Dennis's replacement was Paul Diano who would stay with the band through 1981. Paul was a bit different than their previous singers. He had a raspy voice that you'd normally hear in a punk band. Yeah. And his aesthetic was decidedly punk rock. They will deny this, I'm sure, because they despised everything that was punk rock. But dude was punk. Okay. Like, he was, he looked like Sid Vicious. Oh, He dressed like Sid Vicious. Don't tell me. He was Sid Vicious. Don't tell me <laughs> he wasn't punk rock. And there, someone said in a documentary that I watched that he, quote, he had the charm of a rough hewn stable boy. And I that kind of sounds hot, though. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that's a good way I, to describe am I, him. Am I weird in thinking? I'm like, that's that's kind of hot. Well, back then, yeah, he was he was pretty hot. Yeah. I, Nowadays, I, not. No, not well, so much. I, I, you know, the 70s and 80s weren't really kind to anyone. No, they were not. They were not. So with this lineup, their onstage theatrics started. They were well known now for their theatrical live shows, but it all started way back then. They started by using dry ice and a bubble machine. Hell yeah. That sounds like my Halloween party three years right? ago. <laughs> no, it does that. I feel like early Maiden shows probably were like a Halloween party. Oh, I would have loved them. Except you could go to them, like, on any random Saturday night at Cart and Horses Pub. Oh, my God. I want to go to this time and live there. <laughs> if only time travel was a thing. I'd abuse it. Yeah, I too mean, much. I mostly, mean, mostly for concerts. But yeah. I'd abuse it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I would want to go to concerts back in the 70s, though. Like, lack security. Yeah, but shit didn't happen in the 70s the way they happen now. Well, the 80s. Yeah, Monsters of Rock. People died. Why well, wouldn't Axl Rose fucked up so many concerts? I would never go to an Axl Rose concert because here's the thing: we can go back in time, knowing what we know now, and go to specific concerts. True. That's what I would do. Or get like strategic seats to yes. avoid riots. Yeah, don't go in the crowd. Yeah. Stay in the seats. There you go. So they were using the dry ice and bubble machine, but then they kicked shit up a notch and made a giant paper mache kabuki-like mask that they would hang above the stage. That's fun. At the end of the show, it would billow red smoke from its mouth and eyes and fake blood would drip from its mouth. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And it was always hanging above the drummer. 
So as soon as the blood would come out of its mouth, it would just drip all over the drummer. It's like, it's cool. I didn't need to see what I was doing, That's guys. That's fine. fine. I can be covered in fake blood while I'm trying to drum in your fucking band. That's fine. But this mask was actually the first incarnation of their cherished mascot, Eddie. Yes. The name Eddie comes from the fact that they called the paper mache mask the head okay. with an English accent that sounds more like the, the Ed. Ed. The Ed. The Ed. Which eventually became Eddie. Of course. At the end of 1978, after playing countless shows around the UK in their lorry that they nicknamed the Green Goddess, because it was green, just a giant green truck. Okay. (laughs) They went into the studio for the first time. Of course, being working class young... Hmm? How long have they been together? A year. Three years. Wow. It took them three years to be like, all right. Because I feel like back then... It was like you'd be together for like a year and then like, all right, let's go make a record. Yeah. Because I feel like you could just like walk in anywhere, throw somebody 20 bucks and be like, we're going to make a record. But I think the difference here is that... They had 50 band members before they had a chance? (laughs) First they had to sort their shit out. Yeah. (laughs) It took them three years to sort their shit out and get like an actual lineup. And also like they didn't have anybody helping them. They were the only ones doing this. At least where they were or in their scene or whatever. Okay. They didn't have connections. They didn't have any money. You know, it it took them a while to get up enough money to just go into the studio. To get their shit put in a bag so it was together. Yeah, to go to the shit museum. Or the shit store. Or the shit store. <laughs> there you go. They had no money, so they could only book the studio on New Year's Eve for a few hours. Woof. That was the only time no one else wanted to book the studio, so they got it for cheap. All right. I mean, that makes sense. I'm, I'm thrifty. All f- Be I'm, thrifty, bitches. I'm all for a good discount. Hell yeah. Who doesn't love a good discount? I only shop Target clearance rack. God, I love Target clearance rack. <laughs> and then if you have the app. Oh my and God, then you cartwheel. Get, and then you get 20% off clearance like twice a year. Ugh. Oh, that shit's great. Oh, I buy way too many clothes. Oh, yeah. Way too many. Anyway, back to the story. Yes. They recorded a four-song demo and gave it to Neil Kay, an influential radio DJ who at the time was managing a club called Bandwagon Heavy Metal Soundhouse. Also sounds like a rad place that I would love to go to. I would like one of those in our town. Yeah. Get on it, guys. Come on. He kind of wrote off the wrote the band off for a little while, but was blown away by their demo when he finally got around to listening to it. He started playing the song prowler at the bandwagon and it was a huge hit because of their popularity at this club they got a manager and released the demo now called the soundhouse tapes and within weeks sold out all 5,000 copies that were made that's awesome yeah Holy shit literally just one action of giving their demo to this one dude that owned a club that rarely happens very rarely but Nobody else was really doing this kind of music in England at this time. They oh, really? were part of the first wave of British metal. Oh, that's so oh. we we've talked about the second wave before, which is um like this uh, black metal, like King Diamond and yep. and Varg and Euronymous and all of them. This is the first wave. Iron Maiden is the reason why those guys got into metal. Right. And I, if I recall correctly, like, didn't they kind of influence Judas Priest as well? Because they came out kind of around the same time. Judas Priest came out before them. Okay. So these guys were, I mean, maybe, I don't know if they were influenced by Judas Priest, but. I would. 
would say I, Judas Priest was like just before them, or maybe like it was just, just a like, couple years, kind of like Band Brothers, where it's like, oh, hey, I'm into this. Hey, I'm into this too. Yeah. Well, I, as far as I know, they were friends because they toured together a lot. Oh, they yeah. played a, an Iron Maiden open for Judas Priest a bunch of times. See, that would be a fucking amazing show to go right? to. I would drop a pretty fucking penny to see Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. Yes. Absolutely. Is that happening? Let well, us know. We Judas Priest go. is currently on tour, so. They are, but I don't think they're coming. I think they came by near here, but we missed it. They're coming by near here? <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> coming come I mean, to perform near here? You know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Tell me a fucking story. <laughs> so this led to a major record deal with EMI. Which was pretty lucky for them. At the time, EMI was looking to sign a rock band, but could only afford to sign one. They had to choose between Iron Maiden and Def Leppard, and they chose Maiden. Uh, They chose wisely. Yes, they chose correctly. (laughs) Come for me, Def Leppard fans. Yeah, please do. Maiden is way better than Def Leppard. Maiden always wins. Yeah. In this situation, Maiden Maiden always always wins. wins. The band was first featured on a heavy metal compilation EMI released, and that in turn led to their first major tour in 1980. The same year, Iron Maiden released their self-titled debut album. Nice. This album featured cover art with the very first drawn rendition of Eddie. Yay, Eddie! (laughs) The whole point of Eddie was to be a mascot for the band, and the idea for that came from the band's manager, Rod Smallwood. Yes, you can laugh about that name. <laughs> Rod Smallwood. Oh my god, it's on, it's so it's so many levels. There's so many levels to that name. Rod Smallwood. Uh, dick jokes. <laughs> you have a tiny penis. <laughs> Watch he has like the biggest penis in the world. I don't want to find out, but if I he does, good for him. Kind of do. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse Rod, me. Rod Smallwood. Hello, Rod Smallwood. Yes. Um How big is your penis? So Rod Smallwood thought that since the music was so loud and in your face, but the band members were actually really nice, quiet guys, there needed to be something front and center that encompassed everything the music evokes. Skeleton man? A skeleton man. All right. Raisin zombie? I don't know. Yeah. Dead dead guy. Dead guy. (laughs) It's a dead guy. So Rod called on Derek Riggs, a science fiction illustrator he was friends with. In the midst of all the science fiction comic book illustrations was a drawing of a spiky-haired, zombie-like person with crazy eyes and a pretty scary expression. They all said, that's it. That's the one. Throw it on the album cover. Or did they say, that's it. That's it. Yo, Eddie, you from Westchester? He is, though. He he probably... (laughs) He might be. uh, Yeah. New York City, at least. (laughs) He's from Westchester, England. Thank you. (laughs) He's still British. Still British. (laughs) Since then, Eddie has been on the cover of every Iron Maiden album and most of their singles, too. Let's not forget all of the other merchandise Eddie has graced over the years, including the cans of beer we're drinking out of right now. Yeah. Yeah. As a very patriotic, bald Eddie. Yes. Iron Maiden's merchandising is completely unrivaled, and this is where it started, you can find literally anything with Eddie or the Iron Maiden logo on it. Toys, throw blankets, two video games, Christmas Ooh. sweaters, shoes. I really want an ugly Christmas sweater with Eddie on it. Um, they exist. I looked them up today. Uh, can we get them? Yes. All right, we're doing it. 
They 100% exist. Can we get them and wear them out for your birthday? No. No Christmas stuff on my birthday. So wear it on Christmas. All right. That's fair. You win this round. Unless you can find a shirt with Eddie on it that's for your birthday. I'd wear that. Happy birthday, Eddie. And he's wearing a birthday hat. (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. I mean, the band did start two days after my birthday in 1975. (gasps) Oh, shit. So... It's like Eddie and I have the same birthday almost. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to say uh, you and Eddie are Capricorn twins. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Along with Jesus. That Jesus wasn't. He wasn't. Guys. But anyway, whatever you want, Iron Maiden probably has it. And not only is Eddie one of the most recognizable icons of rock, but so is the Iron Maiden logo. Mm-hmm. Which some people say was taken from the movie poster of the man who... Uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, that was the movie that David Bowie was in, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So if the original poster for that movie, the font is the same as the Iron Maiden font. I'm going to have to look at it again, but I feel like, yeah, I can see it's it. It's very similar. Huh. But the band denies that they copied it. But. I mean, guys, nothing's an original idea. So don't yeah. get too butthurt about somebody doing something similar to you. And also, that's kind of a nice compliment that yeah. Iron Maiden would take it from a David Bowie movie. That's there you cool. go respect the band was not happy with how the album turned out feeling that the sound was too muddy the guitars weren't heavy enough and that some band members at the time wanted some songs to sound too much like queen i mean that's not a bad thing guys it's not but that's not the direction they were going i know (laughs) but it was instantly popular and reached number four on the uk albums chart and the band took off running A live version of the song Iron Maiden was one of the first videos to be aired on MTV. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was number... It was the 16th video to be played on MTV ever. They headlined a tour of the UK and played around Europe, opening for some huge acts like Kiss and Judas Priest. And they also played on top of the pops and insisted on playing live. Yeah, a lot of bands, especially bands that play their own instruments, are always... Well, I guess we're, because it doesn't even exist anymore, I don't think. We're always very anal retentive about saying, I really don't want to lip sync. This is stupid. There are people here. They're watching me. I can perform. Yeah. I sang this song for the record. I can sing it again. Yes. We sing this live literally every night. There have been a lot of bands that we've already looked at. I'm sure there's that many more in times a million that are going, we're going to discover like, we're on top of the pops and we really wish they just fucking let us <laughs> sing live. Yeah. Just fucking let us do our jobs. Top of the pops was a fucking bitch when it came to that it shit. Was. They were not like cool about it at no. all. So the band released their second album killers in 1981 and continued with huge success. They ditched the producer they worked with on their first album in favor of Martin Birch, who would work with them over and over through 1992. He was already a successful producer, working with Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Fleetwood Mac, etc., etc. Oh, yeah. You stick with that guy. Yeah. You you get that guy and you you keep him. You hold on to him real tight. You don't (laughs) let him go. They embarked on their first world tour, including their first tour of the U.S. supporting Judas Priest. Oh, my God. Yeah. To fucking... Again. That's when we can time travel. That's when we abuse the time machine. Yes. But lineup changes weren't too far behind. What? You don't say. (laughs) By this time, their second guitarist had quit over creative differences, and they'd found a replacement in Adrian Smith, formerly of the band Urchin. And in 1981, after their world tour ended lead vocalist Paul Diano was let go. 
The band cited his self-destructive behavior as a reason, particularly his rampant drug use and alcoholism. Because if you're with a bunch of nerds, I'm going to tell you, like, nerds dabble, but we're not, like, hardcore. We don't use all the time. I'm not going to pretend that the rest of the band were angels. Oh. Especially when they found some, like, hardcore success. Of course they partied. A lot. They drank a lot. They probably did drugs, but... Because they're saying everybody did cocaine. Right. But as far as I can tell, nobody got a problem. Nobody developed an addiction to anything. As far as I know, maybe maybe I didn't do enough research. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it seemed like Steve Harris had a good enough head on his shoulders that he could sense if anybody was starting to go off the rails. And if they were, they would be like, okay, you need to chill the fuck out. Yeah, get raining in. Regroup. And if you can't pull it together, then you're out of the band. And I think that's what they did with Paul Diano. Like, he just couldn't handle it. And he was constantly doing coke, constantly drinking. And they gave him a period to chill the fuck out and get his shit together. And he couldn't do it. Oh, that's... Here's the thing. I think everybody is entitled to, yo, you want to drink, you want to do drugs, you want to do whatever. Like, there's a time and a place. Yeah. You're a fucking rock band. Huge. And maybe you're doing whatever, some blow or even some LSD. I don't know what what your thing is. And you're doing it, but you do it after a show. And yeah, you're fucked up and you're hung over the next day, whatever. But you get your shit together. And you're ready to go for the next night. You're ready to go for the next (laughs) night. As long as you can perform and do your job. That's all that matters. Right. So now the band was tasked with finding a new lead vocalist. Their popularity was skyrocketing, so changing lead singers was kind of a chancy thing to do. Of course. But there was no question who the band wanted. Bruce Dickinson. Yep. Bruce, then known by his stage name, Bruce Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) Bruce Bruce. Bruce Bruce. Apparently it was because of a Monty Python uh, skit. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we got nicknamed. Fucking nerds. <laughs> Holy shit, they were nerds. And yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. It's sweet. It's very sweet. <laughs> like, these are the guys I'd hang out with. I'd be like, you want to listen to songs about Satan and then watch Mighty Python? <laughs> that sounds like a good time, right? Fun. Drink some beers. <laughs> oh, my God. That actually sounds like a great time. <laughs> Well, Bruce Bruce was already singing in a band called Samson, but they asked him if he wanted to join Maiden anyway, and he agreed immediately. These lineup turnovers sparked a pretty significant change in Iron Maiden. Although maybe not obvious, there was a definite transformation in Iron Maiden's sound after Bruce and Adrian came on board. Like mentioned before, Paul had a gruff edge to his voice that gave the band a bit of a punk rock sound. Mm -hmm. But Bruce's vocals were refined and powerful, qualities that Paul didn't really have. And he had a fucking range, too. Bruce? Yeah. Fuck, yes, he had a range. Oh my god, he had a fucking range. He, all of the live shows that I've watched of theirs in the last week or so, like, this guy is just running all over the place, off the wall, and is singing perfectly. Ugh. I don't know how he does it. I can only stand still and sing. I cannot move and sing. Yeah, no, I cannot move. Are you, are you kidding me? I stand here and I sing. <laughs> I can't move anyway. Like, nobody wants to watch me move. Oh. <laughs> no. Unless you want to watch me do my pointer finger dance. Nobody needs to see that. Everyone needs to see no, that. No, stop it. Never. Stop it. Stop pointing. <laughs> Put your pointer fingers away. 
Adrian's guitar work also meshed so well with Dave's that it seemed like everything clicked perfectly. This was like greatest lineup. They're like, this is it, guys. Yep. We figured it out. Yep. We're here to stay. Maybe. (laughs) Bruce was an absolute performer that brought a lot of energy and enthusiasm to Iron Maiden shows that maybe hadn't been there before. But now that he was lead singer, there were some egos butting heads. No. (laughs) For the most part, everyone in the band were pretty passive people. Although Paul had been the lead singer for years, he ceded the spotlight on stage to Steve, who liked his monitors front and center and was the band member who played to the audience the most. Bruce didn't like that. Oh. (laughs) So he put his monitors front and center. Oh. Steve and Bruce would fight for center stage, literally bumping each other out of the way during shows. Which sucks because... Both of both are you're both valid. You both yeah. need to be here. You both can can play to the audience and show off and whatever. That's you're both fine. important. Yeah, we both love you. Yeah. It's fine. You're both very beautiful and you're gonna get days to prom, I promise. <laughs> Someday that boy will call you and it's it'll be great. It'll be great, but like you don't have to fight your sister. Come on. <laughs> but to settle the matter once and for all, Bruce put extra long legs on his microphone stand, ensuring he got his due performance space. Oh. Because when he would sing, he would pick up the whole microphone stand (gasps) and, like, run around with it and everything. So he put extra long legs on the bottom of it so he could, like, shove Steve Harris. Oh, my God. Stop. That's not nice. Bruce. Bruce, Bruce. But, like, they would do, like, stupid catty shit like this, but it seemed like... It was all in good fun. Okay. Like, they weren't actually, like, really pissed off at each other. Oh, okay, good. So, (laughs) it was, as far as I could tell, nobody absolutely fucking hated each other. Good, okay. They got along, and for the most part, people left or got fired because of dumb shit. Or because- they couldn't get their shit together. Or because they couldn't get their shit together. Okay, okay. Still, that's, come on. (laughs) It's just, it's You're an adult. (laughs) And because everything's clicked so well, the band was now on a whole new level. Case in point, their next record, Number of the Beast. Yes. Released in March of 1982, it was their first number one album in the UK and was a top 10 hit in several other countries. It had two chart-topping singles, Number of the Beast and our favorite, Run to the hills, (laughs) run for your life. That just always makes me think of rock band. Yeah. Because it's just... And and your friends who thought they could sing it, and like you and look they at can't. them and you're like, oh, honey, no. You are no Bruce Dickinson. You're not Bruce Dickinson. Sit down. Stop. I mean, Sit none down. of us are, but you're really not. <laughs> Woof. But that's usually how rock band would go is you have that one guy who's like no i can fucking sing every song i'm gonna sing it way better than the rest of you guys and he sings all the songs and you're just sitting there on the guitar you know pretending you're just like playing guitar hero like just i you're really bad you failed the song fuck you (laughs) well that's when you go all grunge on them and just smash the guitar yeah over their head but then your friend gets real mad he's like that game is like two hundred dollars. You owe me like fifty bucks. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> so, Number of the Beast was their first album with Bruce, who was actually credited with a lot of the writing. However, unofficially, as he was going through legal disputes with his old band Samson and wasn't allowed to get credit for any other writing at this time. Whoa. 
Yeah, so he wrote a lot. He wrote, uh, I'm pretty sure he wrote Run to the Hills because um, he's like a history buff. Yeah. And he either, I don't think he, I don't know if he wrote the whole song, but he at least wrote the lyrics to it. Okay. And um, he didn't even get credit for that. Which kind of yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah, because that's their fucking song. Yeah. if That's basically what I thought was the only main song I knew. I mean, it's yeah. not. But I thought it was. There were a bunch of other sneaky ones. Which I also for a long time thought it was Judas Priest. (laughs) I didn't think I knew Iron Maiden until this episode. (laughs) Yeah. You think you know. I don't. You have no idea. No, I didn't think I knew either, though. (laughs) I didn't know and I never thought I knew. But yeah, he had a heavy hand in writing Run to the Hills, as well as Children of the Damned and Prisoner. Also fan favorites and hits for the band. Nice. The album art was again created by Derek Riggs and featured some artwork that ruffled more than a few feathers. The cover features the ubiquitous Eddie playing the devil like a marionette, with the title Number of the Beast plastered next to it. Conservative folks in the U.S. couldn't help but clutch their pearls in shock. That's right, it's the 80s. Yeah, consequently... That's right, Nancy Reagan was in office. Yeah. Wait, was it? No, 82? This was early 80s. No, it must have been the Reagans, right? Yes, because Reagan was president when I was born in 83. Yes, you're right. Um, consequently, Iron Maiden were, were branded Satanists, even though none of the members came anywhere close to it. But their shows were protested anyway, and record burnings were held. Remember, this was the early 80s in the U.S., the height of the Satanic Panic, and it was right after Judas Priest's big subliminal message court case. Go back to our Judas Priest episodes to hear more about that. <laughs> fucking shout out to us but it actually had the opposite effect than what was intended and it just got the band a ton of publicity wait a minute wait a minute so are you saying that when you tell someone not to listen to something especially impressionable youth they might go and do it because you told them not to hey don't think of polar bears right now what are you thinking about (laughs) coca-cola And polar bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't say, don't go and do this, or don't think about this, or don't listen to this, and expect people not to do it. Right. Because as soon as you mention it, that's exactly what they're going to get in their head. Actually, now I'm just thinking about really skinny polar bears, and I'm kind of sad. I ruined everything for you, didn't I? Yeah, that's just, I mean, I hate Coca-Cola, and I hate global warming, so I'm just really upset right now. I... <laughs> You did it wrong. Sorry. I mean, it worked, though. (laughs) Yeah. See, my point is made. Yes. (laughs) Adding to the Satanist controversy were tabloids printing stories of spooky happenings during the recording. Ooh. And I wish I knew about this during our uh, Celebrity Ghost Stories uh, episode, because... I I would have talked about this, but I didn't. So I'm putting it here now. Yes. Supposedly, lights in the recording studio would go on and off by themselves and recording gear would mysteriously break down. Producer Martin Birch was also in a car accident during that time that involved a minibus full of nuns. When he got the repair bill, the total cost came to 666 pounds. I mean, you know me. I'm like, well, there's probably just a weird faulty short in the fuse. These are just weird coincidences. It's England. The building's probably really old. Yeah. And like, I mean, nuns happen. It's fine. They have a lot of them there. (laughs) Nuns happen. (laughs) Nuns happen. (laughs) All right. Sorry. Yeah. Skeptical Maggie over here (laughs) with her fucking pipe and monocle. Like, hmm. 
I don't think that any of that has anything to do with anything. Yes. Ghosts aren't real. <laughs> the release of Number of the Beast was a turning point in the band's history. They went from a local English heavy metal band to global metal gods. Hell yeah. But these guys had their future scheduled down to the smallest details. They were smart enough to be working with people who knew what the fuck they were doing. Nice. They knew how to manage a band and not burn out the band or burn the fans out on the band. Because, again, nerds. Like, they're smart. Yeah. They know which what they're is, doing. Which is kind of fascinating considering all of the branding, all of the merchandising, and, like, how long they've been around. Okay, yeah. It's amazing that nobody gets burned out on them. And I think it's because they get basically zero airplay. Yeah. Like, there's, like, at least two major classic rock stations in our area that I listen to fairly frequently. Yeah, me too. I never hear Iron Maiden. I'm, we might, might hear Run to the Hills. Maybe. But not even. And even the classic rock station I listen to when I'm back home doesn't play Iron Maiden. Yeah. Because it was, it was funny, the past couple weeks I've been listening to a lot of Iron Maiden to get ready for the episode, mm-hmm. and I'm just like... This fucking band rocks. They're amazing and musicians. It, it extremely felt, talented. It felt refreshing yeah. to listen to them. Despite the fact that this music's from like the late 70s, early 80s. A lot of the stuff that I was grabbing on Amazon was just earlier stuff. And I'm like, this is so good. But it makes me understand more why so many current metal bands are so influenced by them. Because everything that current metal bands are doing, like progressive metal and... Um, melodic metal and yeah. stuff like that, they are taking a lot of technique from Iron Maiden. And yeah. I didn't even realize that because I'm, I'm, I, I love Iron Maiden, but I'm not a deep fan. I've never done a deep dive into them. Right. So I never really made that connection before. Yeah, same. But the techniques are, are there. Iron Maiden started all of that. Damn. All right. Yeah, actually... I feel like there are some parallels with Iron Maiden and Judas Priest because I feel the same way about Judas Priest. You don't hear a ton of them on the radio. No. And they, too, have a sound that is, despite how old it is, rather refreshing. It's It still applies. Yeah. To current times, I guess. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It's all music that, like, when I'm on my motorcycle, it plays through my head. Yeah, it's aged very well. Yeah. Judas Priest and Iron Maiden have both aged very well and it i guess it does help that they don't get a lot of airplay yeah it doesn't sound like classic rock to me no it know? doesn't to me either it maybe it sounds the, like fucking metal <laughs> maybe that's just because i'm not a, a huge fan right. but i don't know it just doesn't sound like it belongs in the early 80s it sounds like it still belongs here Do you know what it is it's timeless <laughs> like diamonds oh my god metal diamonds metal diamonds are forever Iron Maiden, Diamonds Are Forever. Iron that should Maidens be the title of their next album. Oh, Did it. You're welcome, Iron Maiden. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how huge Iron Maiden was at this point and how their popularity grew in the coming years and how huge their musical and merchandising empire became. But it was always a slow burn. They didn't peak and then come crashing down. They were always slowly burning in the background, hugely popular, but not getting crammed down people's throats. Nice. And I would credit that with great management and not dealing with any band members that had serious drug or alcohol issues. Wow. I think, you know, we might poke fun at them for all of their lineup changes, but 
Maybe that was for the best. Yeah, because clearly Steve Dave knew what was up. Mm-hmm. They and knew, like, all right, you're 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 going to bring us down. You can get the fuck out. We'll find somebody better. Yeah. And what if they didn't kick Paul out and he just continued with the band and his drug and alcohol got uh, use got worse and worse and worse, couldn't perform, didn't make shows, all of that stuff. Maybe they wouldn't be around anymore. Maybe right. they would have broken up. It could have gone a completely different direction. If they were too nice to kick him out. Right. Or just like fucking dealt with it. Or everybody else developed drug and alcohol issues too. Yeah. Huh. Makes you wonder. It does though. But at this point, they had kicked out their drummer du jour, Clive Burr. Du jour. And brought in, <laughs> brought in Nico McBrain. <laughs> it's a weird name. He's a weird what? guy. What? Oh my God. He's such a weird guy. Nico McBrain. Nico McBrain. Okay. Although, as far as I know, he wasn't on drugs or anything. He did have a reputation for being a bit of a wild child. He had a lot of energy and wasn't afraid to mouth off any chance he got. And he also liked to party. Nice. But he worked so well in the band and brought amazing technique to their previous that their previous drummers didn't have. Okay. The next couple of years were nonstop for the band. They released their fourth album, Peace of Mind, in 1983, which was wow. the... Wow. F- yeah. What? I was just saying, wow, like, that's... They're fucking going. Yeah. They're just spitting it out. For the most part, they released an album a year for most of the 80s. That's pretty intense. Like, yeah. That's some workhorse shit right there. And it wasn't just releasing an album. They would... Record the album for a few weeks, release the album, then go on tour for most of the year, and write while they're on tour, then go back into the studio, record the album, release the album, then go back out on a tour. They just did not stop. That's, oh my god. Good for you guys. I would have quit. Yeah. (laughs) But Peace of Mind was the first Iron Maiden album to chart in the US. Finally. Following that, they went on their most ambitious tour yet playing 140 shows and headlining sold-out arenas. By this time, they had graduated from the kabuki mask billowing smoke to a giant eddy that walked around on stage, messing with the band and the audience. It was terrifying. That thing... (laughs) Go look up a video on YouTube of that thing. It is horrific and terrifying and the thing of my nightmares. I can't wait to look for this. It is... It's basically a dude... In an Eddie suit, but it's like, it's like they built on top of a person's shoulder. Oh my God. So like the Eddie part is from the a person's shoulders up, but your shoulders are Eddie's waist. So then you have Eddie's torso and head and arms above the person who is oh, working no. the arms. It's terrifying. Oh my God. Go YouTube it. I, I swear to God. Pause this. YouTube, come back. Yeah. On the World Peace Tour, they decided to kill Eddie during a televised performance on German TV. No. Bruce literally ripped... can you? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of already dead anyway. Right? But Bruce literally ripped the giant's head open and pulled out his brains. Oh my god. And the Germans deemed it too violent for TV, so they didn't air it. Hmm. But don't, don't worry... Eddie was reincarnated. Yeah, he came back. Oh, good. He came back at the end of the at the end of the tour. I mean, like, yeah, but like that's how you kill a zombie, right? And also, that's how you put on a fucking stage show. Boom, that's it. You think they would have slowed down after this tour, but they didn't. 
They released another album called Power Slave. Actually, no, I never would have thought they slowed down after you told me every year. Every year they don't slow down. (laughs) I figured like, oh, do they not slow down? Great. No, they don't slow down. They released another album called Power Slave in September 1984 and immediately went out on another tour, even more ambitious than the last. This one lasted 331 days with 189 shows played all over the world, with 112 of those shows in the U.S. and Canada alone. Wait, what? And seven shows straight in New York City. Holy, okay. All seven shows were sold out, by the way. What year was this? Uh, 84. They had an incredibly elaborate stage set that included a massive animatronic eddy and lots of fire. That tour put Iron Maiden on the map in the U.S., but for the band, it was basically hell. Oh. They were running themselves absolutely ragged and demanded a break after the tour ended. Bruce even threatened to quit the band if they didn't get time off. That's fair. Yeah. That's like two years straight of shows. Yeah. That's insane. What was supposed to be a six-month break only lasted four months, after which they went back into the studio to write their next album, Somewhere in Time. This marked another big change in Iron Maiden's sound, as Steve Harris, who had always been the band's primary writer and composer, wanted to take Iron Maiden in a different direction and experiment a little with their sound. It was also the first time synthesizers were incorporated into their music. Yeah, I did notice listening through their discography, um, because I mixed everything up, and I would hear a song like, that sounds interesting. And I remember looking at the cover art, for even the cover art for that album is a little it's very different. very sci-fi. Yeah. It was Eddie as a cyborg. Yeah, it was really They were very weird. inspired by Blade Runner for this album. A lot of people were inspired by Blade Runner, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, right? And sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't, guys. Yeah. I mean, everyone was kind of like, synthesizers? What? Okay. But... I assume for the most part, everybody was like, all right, we'll go with it. Um, They realized, like, Steve Harris realized, like, he knows that this is a good album and he really likes it, but he he realized with the next album that they recorded that maybe synthesizers weren't really the the way to go. (laughs) They're not the way of the future? (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. Um, But we'll get into that later. What it didn't feature was any writing by Bruce whose material was rejected by the band completely. Oh. Steve chalked it up to Bruce being exhausted and completely missing the mark on the direction they were trying to go in. Iron Maiden was experimenting with electronic sounds while Bruce was writing acoustic ballads. And (laughs) the hilarious thing about the synthesizers thing is in one documentary I watched about their history, um, they had played Poland during the World Peace Tour or World Slave Tour. It was during the World Slave Tour. Mm-hmm. They actually played in Poland for the first time, which was very difficult to do. Yeah. Because it was a authoritarian government. Yep. So they played in Poland and they ended up crashing a wedding. Oh. And they played like deep, co- deep purple covers and stuff at the wedding. That's the best fucking wedding to have ever existed. Yes. And it was just, you see these like totally normal people just like bopping around to like this. <laughs> yes, like totally normal Polish people just like hopping around in the audience. Uh-huh. It was so cute. But there was one point <laughs> when Bruce Dickinson is talking to somebody at the wedding. He's like, and the guy he's talking to is like, I really like the heavy metal. 
but I want to play the heavy metals on the synthesizers. <laughs> and Bruce looks at him and goes, nah, you can't play heavy metal on synthesizers. <laughs> I want to look this up now. It's like, well, guess Steve showed you, Bruce. <laughs> Sorry. I guess Sorry, you can Bruce. play the heavy metals on the synthesizers. I want to play heavy metals on synthesizers. So it's a bunch of squiz cards? It's a bunch of squiz cards. It's beautiful. They continued with the experimentation on their next album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, which is hard to say after you've had It's like a beer. 14 sons. It's a lot of sons. I'm not Wait, doing is that, that is right that now. Is that an addition problem or multiplication? You know what? It doesn't matter. Continue. Anyway, (laughs) by now everyone's enthusiasm for writing returned and gelled a little bit better. Bruce's material wasn't rejected so readily. And instead of relying on synthesizers for textures and layers, they incorporated keyboards, which apparently was a better idea. Yeah, I could see that being better. Yeah, but it was also a concept album and it had a ton of literary references. Like they do. Like Like we talked about before. But Seventh Son of a Seventh Son which was released in 1988, is a reference to the novel Seventh Son by Orson Scott Card. The album became the second number one for the band in the UK, but it only went gold in the US. Only gold. Only gold, which was kind of different from their last four albums. Right, which right. That's were, still, went, it's still one of those things where you're like, oh, that's not really it's quite still, what we're used to. It's still great, but yeah, like... You get used to a certain standard. But at the same time, I feel like they were never as popular in the U.S. as they were in the U.K. They're super popular in the U.S., but in Europe and the U.K., they were insanely popular. Hot take. We're not very much on top of things in the U.S. if it didn't come from the U.S. Yeah, especially when it comes to metal. There are, I mean, granted, of course, there's exceptions to every rule. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Beatles or whatever, but... I feel like a lot of things when it comes from another country, we tend to gloss over it until it's basically like punched into our faces several times. And they're like, oh, this is really good. We should like this. Really? Now we should like it? We've decided after the rest of the world likes it that we should like it? Like, But then like... But we then, don't like liking things from other countries, I feel like. But then like once we like it, we grab onto we it. it. We choke it. We James Hetfield it. We choke the living fucking shit out of yeah. it until we fucking hate it. And but we love it at the same time, so we just hate listen to it. Yeah. Like fucking Mumford and Sons. I still kind of like Mumford and Sons. Stop. <laughs> Get out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> well, they're okay. But after they released this, they had another successful tour during which they played the fateful Monsters of Rock show. Where Guns N' Roses caused a riot and two people died. God damn it, Guns N' Roses. Knock it off. Yeah. Then they took another break in 1989. During this break, both Adrian and Bruce pursued solo ventures with the intention of reconvening with Maiden later to record a new album. But in contrast to their previous two albums, Steve wanted to go in a stripped down direction with their sound. Adrian didn't agree with that, so he left the band. Oh, They recorded No Prayer for the Dying with a new guitarist, and that album produced their only number one UK single, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Oh, but don't. (laughs) I don't think you should. Just don't go to the slaughter. Pro tip, avoid the slaughter. (laughs) Avoid the slaughter. Can we we write a counter song called Avoid the Slaughter? I think we should. (laughs) 
<laughs> parentheses, an open letter to Iron Maiden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they released another album in 92 and again embarked on an exhaustive world tour, after which Bruce announced he was leaving the band to work oh. on his solo career. His farewell tour was deemed disastrous, mostly oh. because Bruce's diva behavior caused a ton of tension between him and Steve Harris. Because so, Steve so, don't play that. So what you're saying is the the giant microphone stand did eventually bother Steve. Yes. Like eventually Steve was like, you know, now I'm just kind of over it, bro. Steve got poked by one of those extended uh microphone legs. legs just one too many times he's like you know what he's like you know what you I'm hit done. my taint on purpose that time <laughs> didn't you i can only be poked in the butthole so many times with before your i finally say enough is enough <laughs> so now it's 1994 and the band is tasked with trying to find a new lead singer after hundreds auditioned for the gig the band chose blaze bailey <sighs> the way you like looked and presented that makes me believe I should not be impressed with it was like Blaze Bailey. Just the name alone is fucking stupid. I mean, sorry, Bruce Bruce is a better name <laughs> than Blaze Bailey. At least Bruce Bruce had a fun story behind it, right? At least Bruce Bruce was inspired by Monty Python. Bruce Bruce. Where does where does where does Blaze Bailey come from? Yeah, fuck you. Oh, these fucking names. I can't. I'm sick and I'm drinking and I can't. Blaze Bailey. Blaze Bailey and Boost Boost. Why are we Albert Fudd? <laughs> because I, I have Why did medicine. we become Albert Fudd? I didn't sign up for this. Blaze Bailey, who at the time was singing for Wolfsbane. Oh my God, stop it. I fucking can't. <laughs> No, he was singing for Wolf Spain. <laughs> he was singing for Wolf Spain. <laughs> they recorded two albums with Blaze, The X Factor and Virtual I'm going to I'm gonna go with Virtual Eleven. I don't know. It's Virtual XI Roman numerals. Yeah, that would I make assume me it's, 11, it's eleven. Right? Yeah. Both of which didn't do so great on the charts. Critics didn't really like the albums and largely blamed that on Blaze. He received a shit ton of criticism during his time with Iron Maiden. I mean, like, first of all, your name's Blaze. Your name's Blaze It's an Bailey. uphill battle. Yeah. But it was mostly for the fact that he didn't have the vocal chops to keep up with Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. So he he couldn't cut it when he was doing their older stuff that they Ooh. recorded with Bruce. Like, That's his voice could not handle it. And he only lasted five years with Iron Maiden. He was asked to leave in January 99 because of problems he had with his voice during the Virtual Eleven tour. However, he has stated that he left because he heard Iron Maiden was going to ask Bruce Dickinson back. Yeah, because... Because he's he's Bruce Dickinson! he's Bruce fucking Dickinson! Guess what, guy? He gets to fucking sing. Yeah. If he'll come back... He's, He's coming back. He's coming back. Either way, Bruce did come back. Yeah, Bruce! And so did Adrian Smith. Now yeah, Adrian. The, yeah, Adrian. Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> now the band had three guitarists and went out on a reunion Guys, tour. Again, that's still too many guitarists. Yep. But it works. Somehow it works. But that tour was really successful. All right. Yeah, because they're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Bruce is back. And basically it's been fucking gangbusters for the band since then. Pretty much every two years they record a new album to critical acclaim and go on tour to support it and it's always hugely successful. So they're still touring? Yes. Why have we not seen them yet? I don't know. They're touring right now. We need to go. 
We just said right, you didn't want to go. <laughs> no, we do want to go. We just yeah. don't want to go to Monsters of Rock. Oh, no, not at all. Don't ever go to Monsters yeah. of Rock. No, they're coming around here. Oh, we should go. fucking do it. I'll sell some. If there is a giant Eddie <gasps> coming out on stage, because every year, every year that they toured, their stage uh, set was would get bigger and bigger and crazier and right. crazier. Like, it went from having the, like, weird, you know... Eddie Muppet some, marionette. Some poor crew member dressed up as Eddie, like, running around stage to an animatronic Eddie that would literally come out of the wall to a massive inflatable Eddie. Ooh, was he a wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-flailing Eddie? No, because that would be very dangerous. <laughs> or it would be the best thing ever. Well, what they did was, like, he would come out of the back wall, his head would come out of the back wall, but... On either side of the stage, inflatable arms, like hands would come up and then there would be like podiums in the middle of his hands that they would stand on. So it looked like Eddie was holding them in his inflatable hands. Oh. Yeah. So you you don't want him to be wacky inflatable arm Eddie. Flailing Eddie. Flailing Eddie. No flailing Eddie. All right. All right. That's fair. But now when they toured, they're in a jumbo jet called Ed Force One. Ed Force One! Also flown by Bruce instead of, you know. What? Yeah, he's a pilot, too. Bruce is a pilot? Bruce is a pilot. Bruce is a fucking impressive... He's a pilot? ...specimen (laughs) of a human being. He's an interesting dude. Bruce Squared is a pilot. (laughs) Bruce Squared. He's Bruce Squared. He's a nerd. Oh, man. He appreciate it. Yeah. Definitely one of the most iconic metal bands that has ever graced this earth. And I am so glad that they did. Yeah. It's so interesting because their story is just very successful. They are clearly very intelligent, smart dudes who knew what they were doing. Yes. And they were. you know why? Because nerds. Yeah. They they had like their five-year plan. Mm -hmm. And then they had their 10-year plan. And then they had their 20-year plan. Like granted, Steve mommed them a little bit. But the the momming worked. Like they needed that mom element. Absolutely. And their manager was like really integral in their success if they didn't have (laughs) rod smallwood um (laughs) then i don't think they would be where they are now and their merchandising empire has been copied by everybody lars fucking ulrich copied it yeah for metallica yeah so they knew what they were doing like I said before, kind of had this slow burn in the background. Yeah. They seemed like the band who knew how to brand themselves. Absolutely. Because, again, going into this episode, I have to admit, not knowing a ton about Iron Maiden, not thinking yeah, I knew either. a lot of their songs, but you know the logo, you know Eddie. I did not know his and name it, was Eddie, but yeah. I knew Eddie was a thing. You could always identify, like, oh, that's Iron Maiden. And every rock band that you listen to always lists Iron Maiden as an influence. I mean, we all had that friend in high school who had, like, the 12 Iron Maiden shirts with Eddie on it. <laughs> we are like, why do you wear that? It's really stupid. That- now I know why you wear it, because they're fucking amazing. Like, is that the same shirt? No, you just have 12 Iron Maiden shirts. Yeah. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. It's it. They are they are a band that was very good at branding. Understood the importance of it, but on top of it, they had the talent to back it up. But also, were never crammed down anybody's throats. Mm-mm. Somehow, miraculously, considering how insanely and immensely popular they were, maybe in Europe it was a different story. Oh, but I think at least growing up in the U.S., we didn't get that oversaturation right. of them because they just weren't as popular in the U.S. as they were in Europe. 
So maybe that's it. Maybe it's a different story over there. I don't know. But I, you can't get sick of them. Yeah. Like, I'm sick of fucking Black Sabbath. I can get sick of Led Zeppelin most of the time because they were so popular here. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because those are British bands. Black right. Sabbath. Bleh, Black <laughs> Sabbath. Led Zeppelin. But they um, were so much more popular here than I feel like Iron Maiden was. You know what's funny, too, is... I, and I think that oh, the whole Satanic Panic thing was probably oh, why. Oh, that's a good point. Because but there was Satanic Panic for Black Sabbath, 100%. Yes, but that's what, like, started it, I think. And theirs was not as uh, publicized as Judas Priest was oh. or Iron Maiden. Yeah, Judas Priest had the unfortunate um, story of the boy who committed suicide. Right. And then I'm sure then you have Iron Maiden with the blatant devil skeleton zombie Eddie. Eddie playing scares- the devil like a marionette. Yeah, and like else, that scares... Was- that scares little conservative white people. Right. And it's called Number of the Beast, you know, and yeah. they say 666 in the the song. So, you know, the satanic panic thing was just stupid bullshit and really <laughs> ruins um, a, a lot, lot of, of good music, a lot of international careers for people. I don't think it ruined Iron Maiden's U.S. career. I think it just um, made people like. Be a little bit more hush-hush about it. For what it's worth, as much of a dumpster fire that we feel like we're in now, we have to be able to take a step back and say, like, at least that shit. I don't think that shit would fly now. I don't think you could throw, like, satanic panic. Because I think there are so many... We're becoming such such a secular nation. And yeah. we're really hitting this level of, it's just music. We've and, also gone through it already in the yeah, 80s. And, so and people are internet, looking for it. And now that we have the internet, it's, it's just harder to stop people from listening to things. Yeah. So, on the bright side, you can't really deal with that much shit anymore as far as music goes. So, we've got that. And the hilarious thing is that, like, most of their shit, even if it referenced Satanism, it wasn't even about Satanism. (laughs) It was something literary or something historical or had absolutely nothing to do with even religion, let alone the devil. Right. So... They were just like the most normal dudes. If you look at promotional photos from back then, <laughs> it was like your dad and his bros hanging out Aww. at a picnic. That's what they look like. Like, you can't look at these guys and be like, oh, yeah, they're fucking Satanists, man. They're devil worshiping weirdos. You know? No, they no. look like your dad and his fucking friends. You want to know why? Because they're fucking nerds. Yes. <laughs> and nerds fucking run this shit now. And not just nerds. They were academic nerds. Yeah, they were academic nerds. They watched Mighty Python. They're into sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Guys, they're yep. not They're not here to steal your babies and drink goat's and, blood. you know, they're sacrifice not. them. They're not. They're not. That's, they're just here to have a good time. They just want to make music. You know, take a minute after this episode's over and watch the videos and watch Creepy Eddie and look at pictures of how nerdy they are. Yep. And watch the Mighty Python, because that shit's wonderful. I think that's a great place to end it on. I think so. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Iron Maiden. Go see them live. Also, you might try to. Also, it's the, I think this is the first time in a very long time that I have done one of our episodes, and the band I'm talking about doesn't have, like, drug issues. No. Okay. We just did an episode <laughs> where there's no rape, there's no wife beating, there's no drug issues, there's no molestation, there's no... Oh my god, did we just have a happy episode? I don't think we've had one since Andrew W.K. I mean, 
individually they've had their issues like if once they've gone out of maiden like paul diano isn't doing so great but for the most part when it comes to actually being in iron maiden right iron maiden itself is a collective positive yeah okay i would say so I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I didn't do enough research. I don't know. And, but and if I think we're wrong, hey, tell us. If we're wrong, please tell me because I didn't. I didn't find much of anything that was like this person like had a drug overdose. Right. And this, I mean, was, they could be very good at yeah. hiding their shit. Sure, good for them if they are. Yeah, but also, you know, what? if like, you're that good at hiding your shit, then you didn't have that much shit to talk about. Like the the worst thing I found out was like uh, Steve was going through a really bad divorce Aww. when um See, then you were, just feel bad for it and i was like oh well i guess this is why this album is so dark and like prog rocky <laughs> or whatever <laughs> but okay prog still rock is just th- divorce is that but what i mean saying? like did he did he have an alcohol problem during this time no okay well did he snort a lot of coke did no? did they beat their wives anything were they touched his children anything i mean if they have if any of those things happen we don't know about them I, I do not know about them. Yeah. So we're going to say this is a uh, this is a net positive episode. Indeed. I feel good. I feel happy. I want to go listen to some fucking Iron like, Maiden. Yeah, I feel like Jazz to go listen to some Iron Maiden. Yeah, now. there's no fucking strings attached to their music. It's great. And I'm glad I did this episode because um, it made me really want to listen to them. And then I did. And I'm like, wait a second. I really fucking like this shit. Yeah, I again. Yeah, their music's fucking awesome. Yes. If you haven't listened to a ton of Maiden, just fucking pull up a YouTube playlist, go on your Spotify, go on your Amazon Music, and listen. It is so good. Or even just listen to the first album, listen to Killers, and listen to Number of the Beast. And also Power Slave. Number of the Beast is an easily solid album. Absolutely. No tracks to skip. It is very good. Yeah. All right. There you go. Recommendations. (laughs) Number of the Beast. There you go. Got it. And Eddie. I hope we did a solid job for you, Joey. And actually, I, I should have said this, said this at the beginning, um, Joey's co-host of So Wizard Podcast. It is a great podcast. If you are a nerd, because we've talked about nerds <laughs> all fucking night, um, it's great. They talk about news in the nerd and geek world, like, you know, like movies that are coming out or comics that are coming out and things of that nature. And then a lot of times they'll do movie reviews, which are great. Um, mm. If you are a Patreon member of theirs, they did a Bohemian Rhapsody review. Ooh. Yeah. And I would actually love to sit down and have a chat with them about it. We could have a long chat. I could actually, honestly, like, guys, I could talk to anybody about this fucking yes. movie. Like, yes. people have asked me my opinions, and I'm like, do you have 20 minutes? I have a lot of opinions on I have on a lot this. of opinions. If you need to know them, you can go watch also, our Bohemian Rhapsody Also, I know a lot about Queen that I you know. probably don't know. Let me tell you about Queen. I should just sit out in front of campuses. Let me tell you about Queen. What do you know? Let me tell you. Let me tell you about Queen. But this was about Iron Maiden. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. Anyway. So, yes. Iron Maiden. Awesome. Uh, so, Wizard, check them out. And if you like us, continue to check us out. Uh, you can get us on the internets at www.rockcandypodcast.com. And you can follow us on the social meds, Twitter at Rock Candy Pod, Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. And hit us up. You know, let us know your opinions. If you happen to think we got something wrong, think we got something right. I actually would love to have conversations with Warren Zevon fans about what they thought of our last episode. So many people really liked that episode. Right. Which, which is I'm, awesome. Which is I'm great with because I didn't know anything about him. And I've learned a lot about him. And I've learned about a lot about his music. And I have 
so many feelings <laughs> and I would love to talk to like a legit Warren Zevon fan about it. But yeah, I mean, we love to talk to you guys. Please, you know, just message us. We'll fucking chat you up. It's great. We're, we're nerds. We'll talk about things. <laughs> Let's have a, a productive discussion. Yes. I like productive discussions. Please. If you know stuff about Iron Maiden that I left out, please tell me. Oh my God, yeah. I want to learn it. Yeah. Because like, I tried finding like deep stuff, and I didn't. I didn't. If find there a is lot. deep stuff, they're good but, at hiding it. Yeah, some bands are. Yeah, I mean, I they <laughs> and that's the other thing. Like, a lot of the times, I get a lot of my information and my fun tidbits and shit from like music articles from yeah. music magazines. I can't find shit. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't find fucking shit. Like, there's an autobiography that came out in 2004 that had a lot of really great information, but. Like, if, when it's an autobiography, you still get not to a, control the... Not autobiography, a biography oh, about okay. the band. But I'm still, sorry. I feel like you get to control a little yeah. bit of that narrative, If it's too. authorized, mm. then yes, you yeah. control it. Yeah, you do. So, yeah. Musicians are interesting, to say the least. We've learned a lot. And, and I officially love Iron Maiden. Yeah, so officially, no. we are here for you, Iron Maiden. Absolutely. And we need to go see you live. Yes. It's happened. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, and next week, we have our last episode of the... Listener suggestion suggestions month. It'll be a fun episode oh. that is very different than the last three we've oh, done. It I will think. Be. I think it's going to be a hard right turn. Like we thought this was like a an uh, an upbeat yeah. <laughs> episode. We might need to pump the brakes for next week and just like chill for a sec because it's going to be an explosion of there's early- a lot. There's a lot going on there's in the next episode. Stuff. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot, guys. Oh. And it's it might be a little bit too much for me. I don't know. I don't know. No, you know what? It's going to be just enough. <laughs> just enough. <laughs> just enough. Oh, man. All right. So tune in next week, kids. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.